Hey there traders, looking to take the guesswork out of trading and only 10 minutes a day? Then you need to head on over to AIStockTradingSystem.com right now, where you can get our five-step system to take the guesswork out of trading in only 10 minutes per day. And the only place to get that is at AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com. I think as a result, um, well, there are all kinds of other reasons, but that's one of the reasons why um, we don't see eye to eye anymore and everything's politicized, everything. So even the, the vaccines, which I argue in my book, um, I shot to save the world, I argue that it's really modern scientists, scientists' greatest achievement. It's a miracle if you think about it. So quickly, it was just over 300 days from the time when we got the sequence to this virus to when the vaccine was 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 approved. So um, it's a remarkable achievement, and I think we need to appreciate it. This is the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast, brought to you by 10MinuteStockTrader.com, where we cover finance, stocks, options, entrepreneurship, education, and money. And here's your host, voted one of the top 100 people in finance, Christopher Ewell. Hey there, traders. Welcome back to today's How to Trade Stocks Options podcast. I have three special free gifts for you over at 10MinuteStockTrader.com. That's the Triple Stock Profits ebook you can get for free. That's a bullish power cheat sheet that you can get for free. And if that wasn't enough, at the brand new web class, How to Easily Discover proven, back-tested, 100% plus winners, that is for free as well. You can get these three free gifts, all yours, at 10MinuteStockTrader.com. The Triple Stock Profits eBook, the free web class, and the Bullish Power Cheat Sheet. And all you gotta do is go to 10MinuteStockTrader.com. Markets are people. People are predictable. Outlier can show you how to track market fear and greed with artificial intelligence, on over 1,300 of the largest market cap names. Visit outlier.com to learn more. That's O-V-T-L-Y-R.com. They have a free pilot program for the rest of 2021 that you can get access to right now at O-V-T-L-Y-R.com. That's O-V-T-L-Y-R.com. Hey, make sure you subscribe and hit the bell so you'll be notified every time we give you more tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter every single week. Hey there, traders. Welcome back to today's How to Trade Stocks Options podcast. Today, I have a very special guest online, somebody I, I'm honestly very excited to talk to, Gregory Zuckerman. Greg is the author of one of my favorite trading books ever, which I've listened and read at least four times at this point, The Man Who Solved the Market. Uh, Greg, thank you so much for coming on the line today. It's a pleasure. And um, thank you for uh, reading so many times the same book. I appreciate it. You know, it's... Here's the deal. I love to read. And one of my goals for 2021, I've talked about on the podcast enough times, but um, I'm trying to read 100 books in the span of 2021. I'm, I'm almost there. I think I have a handful left. And uh, this one I love. And I figured out my favorite genre of books is financial history books, right? <laughs> it's not so much the, the financial like theory. I get really bored with that kind of stuff, but it's the history of how, you know, Jesse Livermore. Uh, was successful, how William Darvis was successful, or, or uh, um, God, Darvis was successful. I forget his first name. Uh, William O'Neill, things like that. And then uh -huh. Jim Simons. Um, this, yeah, this one was fantastic. So I had several questions. I was so excited to, uh, to get a chance to ask you about. Um, but first, you know, tell me about yourself. I mean, you, you come from the, the Wall Street Journal. You've got a, a background in journalism, business journalism specifically. How did, how did we get here? 
So, uh, yes, I've been at the Wall Street Journal for 25 years, uh, a long time to be at any one company, uh, let alone a media company, a newspaper. So I'm a little bit old school in that regard. But I sort of um, and I and I've covered a lot of beats at the Wall Street Journal, but all finance related. Um, I started off writing about the bond market, credit markets, the various aspects of the credit markets. Uh, I wrote the Hurt on the Street column for many years. Back then, it was just me doing it alone. Now we have a bunch of people. That was a real blast. Um, I wrote about hedge funds for many years, private equity, and now part of an investigative um, unit. So uh, I do investigative kind of stories. I uncover things. Um, I've written about a whole bunch of range of things. I uncovered some bad stuff going on at, at a company called care.com not that long ago, and they've changed their ways. Um, thankfully, I wrote a a long piece about 9-11 recently, the 20th and uh, 25th anniversary, and um, just about four individuals that morning, the decisions they made. So that's sort of the range of kinds of stories that I do. But a lot of what I do is kind of home runs and strikeouts, meaning firms, individuals, traders that have uh, succeeded uh, for various reasons uh, in big, big ways, and those that have blown up, failed, made huge mistakes. And, and I do that because um, there's a lot of drama in those kinds of um, stories, but also a lot of lessons. And I'm uh, always trying to learn from, from mistakes and, and successes of others. And uh, personally, I'm a selfish guy. So I like to write about them so I can learn about them and, and share those lessons uh, w with others. And, and getting back, there's a long-winded um, answer, but um, I stumbled into this career in a lot of ways. I never set out to be a journalist. I always thought I'd go work on Wall Street. Um, I graduated in uh, 1988, a long time ago, and I did well. I went to a good uh, liberal arts university, and I couldn't get a job uh, on Wall Street. Uh, I couldn't even get an interview, believe it or not. So um, I basically um, stumbled into this industry, and I'm thankful um, because uh, I get paid to write about finance and Wall Street and entrepreneurs and, and investors and just people doing big things. And um Every day I count my blessings. <laughs> you and I are such kindred spirits. I got to tell you, when you were describing how, um, you know, getting to interview these people and learn from them and write about it, I tell people all the time, the podcast is such a selfish endeavor for me because mm -hmm. I get a chance to ask all these amazing, I, I've had three or four market wizards now, and I've had, you know, all kinds of amazing traders on, and I get to, you know, ask them all the questions that I want to know. How can I improve? You know, how can I share this with others? And at the same time, the people who are who are listening, just like your readers, are are kind of the flies on the wall who get to absorb all this at the same time. So yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, and I, I, oh, I, I find there are all kinds of lessons you can learn from from anyone. So my wife sort of teases me, but you you put me down like in a barbecue or something, and there's a dentist next to me, and I don't know. Not everyone may be interested in the dentist or the dermatologist, but I but I I find lives fascinating and I find obstacles people have overcome and challenges and how they've dealt with them, be it, you know, financial setbacks or just personal ones, um, health issues, children, etc. So yeah, so I, I, a lot of what I write um, as a result, it's about people dealing with obstacles. Um, so I've written a bunch of books and they all sort of have that theme in there. And, and, and like yourself, um, it's in some ways uh, uh, selfish in that I like to learn from them too, personally. Have you, uh, you've probably heard of the, uh, the book more money than God by Sebastian Mallory, I believe is his name. Yeah. I, I just finished that one last week and, um, a similar vein. I mean, he even talks about Jim Simons in his book. Um, 
how did how did you go through that whole process? Because I can only imagine you it took a lot of time and commitment and networking and connections to actually put all these pieces together to where it reads so easily. Yeah, well, it, it may look easy, but it was. <laughs> yeah. So this was a really hard project writing uh, the book, um, The Man Who Solved the Market. Basically, I've been around markets and writing about markets uh, for the past 25 years. And if you're dealing in markets, you've heard of Jim Simons. He is the most successful investor slash trader, however one defines it, uh, in modern history. And we're talking of annual returns of about 70% uh, a year, which is just absurd. So I've always wanted to uh, write a book about him. I've written articles here and there about him, but they're also the most secretive um, firm ever. This is Renaissance Technologies. That's the name of the firm. And Jim himself is, is secretive. And, and, and I reached out years ago, I don't know, at this point must have been a, a decade ago to see if he'd be interested in participating in a book. And he said no, uh, through, through his spokesman. I, I've dealt with him one-on-one a little bit here and there, but not, not that much. Um, so they told me no back then, but it, but it was one of these things that I, um, I couldn't forget. I couldn't um, drop. I, um, I kept coming back to it. And I said, you know what? Um, what if I start writing it and maybe he'll come around and um, it's a, a strategy, a tactic that I've used and others use in the past. And I set out to try to kind of pierce that, that wall of secrecy around the firm. And frankly, I like challenges. I've been doing this for a little while. So one gets, um, I wouldn't say bored, but one, one needs a new challenge. And there was really nothing more challenging than the most secretive firm Wall Street's ever uh, experienced. So I set out, and it's a long story. I mean, it's not a long story, but basically I... Um, I convinced them. I, I, wanted, I had a meet. I don't know if you want to hear how I got him to, to, to talk. Absolutely. Yeah, bring it. So basically, I got a meeting with him to talk about talking. In other words, he still hadn't agreed, but he, he consented to, to, to discuss the possibility of chatting with me. And when I sat across from him, and if, as you, you've read the book, you know, sitting across from Jim Simons means ingesting cigarette smoke fumes <laughs> in your face for an hour or two and, and not complaining because it's Jim Simons and you want you don't want to blow your chance so you don't say a word um so basically when I was talking to him I showed him a picture I showed him my phone and I and I showed him a picture of a, of a home I took a picture of a home and I said hey do you know what this picture is and he's, he says no I don't know what that is I said that's your boyhood home in Newton Massachusetts and um I, I did that for a couple of reasons. One, to kind of um, emphasize that I'm thorough and um, I'm serious about this endeavor and I'm not going away. And yeah, and because I wanted to, to realize that um, I was going to do this either way. So, and I was going to do this project either way and better to cooperate with me th- than not. And I had already talked to so many people and that was sort of the strategy that um, uh, everyone and their mother was getting back to Jim. Jim, I just spent an hour with this guy, Greg Zuckerman. Uh, he had all these questions about you. You, you might want to talk to him, that kind of thing. So eventually he uh, agreed to, to chat with me and I was uh, very grateful to spend as much time as I did with him. So throughout your whole process, you've, I mean, you've encountered a ton of people. You've, you've had a chance to talk to them about their boom and, and bust cycles and you know, learn their history. But what along the way would you feel like was the best lesson that you personally have learned from um, in your own in, in, in your own stories that you've learned from them? Right. 
I, that was a really terribly worded way to say no, that. No, I get it. I get it. No, it's a good question. And you mean in terms of the investors I've talked to or, or broadly the people I've worked yeah, with? Yeah, yeah. The, the investors that you talked to. What, what was the biggest takeaway overall? Because you've talked to so many different people. What was the biggest takeaway that you really grasped onto that, that impacted you the most? So I would say there are um, a number that come to mind, but I would say the biggest is um, staying within your lane. Mm. And you're going to be, um, um, there, there are many people that um, make that mistake. And you'd be surprised how many people make that mistake. So I wrote my first book. It's called The Greatest Trade Ever. And it's about John Paulson. And John Paulson was a hedge fund manager. And um, he made the greatest trade in financial history, um, $20 billion he made for himself and his first firm over, over two years, 2007 and 2008. Uh, he personally made $5 billion and it was uh, buying protection on mortgages, on risky mortgages, and all kinds of different derivatives uh, thereof. And um, there's a lot of drama there. And um, he uh, um, gets a lot of credit. He should get a lot of credit, but he worked with others. And it's really about a group of people, that um, individuals who anticipated the financial meltdown and uh, prepared for it in interesting ways, uh, gutsy ways, in a lot of ways. And then so he, here he is on top of the world after the greatest trade ever. And he got away from his bread and butter trading strategy. And, and I don't mean just sort of doing what he did in, in 2007 and 2008, which is buying, again, betting against mortgages and financial companies and buying protection. Um, but his whole career, before that, it was a merger arc. So he really didn't know that much about mortgages, but he did have a consistent strategy throughout his career, both before the greatest trade ever and, and during. And that strategy was to buy, to look for investments with um, limited downside and um, potentially enormous upside. And, um, you know, it's something we all look for, but um, he really stuck to it. And he did it even with um, merger arc. So he was a merger arc. He was buying companies that um, there was potential for a, a new suitor to come in, a new acquirer, but they already were, they already had reached an acquisition deal, a, a deal to sell themselves. So in other words, um, and those were, he specialized in, in those. In other words, there was limited downside because it already had agreed to be purchased, this company, but it was a kind of company that maybe another would come in, uh, a new party, a new suitor would come in, meaning that there'd be a higher offer. And he did that in other kinds of ways as well. And that's what the greatest trade ever uh, uh, ever was. And that's what's so beautiful about it. It wasn't just that he was bearish about housing and mortgages. A lot of people were bearish. And I write about that in, in my book. And um, it's a misunderstanding people have. Well, oh, everyone was so bullish in 2006 and 2005, 2004. No, no, no. There were so many people that were bearish too early. They did it in the wrong way. They expressed it in, in, incorrectly. And Paulson figured out the way to do it. And again, it was by buying, it was basically, I mean, you read the book, if you're interested, basically buying protection on um, um, groups of uh, pools of mortgages, risky mortgages. And the beauty, beautiful thing about that trade is, that, again, it was limited downside. You were buying protection. It was like buying insurance mm -hmm. and unlimited upside. The guy made $20 billion over two years. So he does all that. Um, and then right afterwards, he changed his whole MO and he started buying gold. He started buying bank stocks, pharmaceutical stocks. He got a little bit overconfident. He got maybe full of himself, one could argue. Um, anybody, it, it would happen to anyone, you know, the whole world kind of treats you in a different way when you've made the greatest trade ever. So he got away from how he operates. And I see it time and time again, mm -hmm. um, hedge fund managers taking on too much money, going to like their sixth and seventh best pick, as opposed to just sticking with top three, let's say. So um, I find that mistake happens all the time. And it's by, by 
everyone on, on Wall Street. Um, you, you get yes men around you and yes women, and it's easy to fall into that trap. Wow, that's super, super interesting. I, in that other book I was reading, the, the More Money Than God book, um, it also chronicled some of um, Paulson's uh, legacy, I guess you could say. And there was at one point, I guess, he, I don't know the full story. You probably know it better than me, but he was standing in front of, of Congress and a congressman was saying, maybe we have the wrong Paulson as treasury secretary or, or something like that. I, that, that one, that was really funny to me, but um, yeah, he was referred to Henry Paulson and um, John Paulson was the one who made the big, uh, right. Big trade. Yes. Uh, that chapter is based on my book. So uh, feel free to <laughs> check out the, the original. <laughs> are are you saying on. that people are, are, are lifting material from you? When I was in lifting us, uh, he did cite me. So um, I appreciate that. Gotcha. All right. So, so tell me some of the things that that's been, while you've been able to get the access that you have, what's some of the struggles that you've dealt with in getting the access and getting the information and putting it all together? Well, I write about um, hedge funds often and hedge funds often don't want to speak. Um, so it's my job to get people to speak, be it hedge fund managers or others, when they don't want to or they shouldn't even. So one of the biggest stories of my career, um, at this point, it was like 2012. So maybe a lot of your audience uh, is too long ago for them, but it was the, um, the, it's called the London whale. Do you know that story about the London whale? No. So J so there was a trader at JP Morgan who, um, I uncovered, I wrote about who, um, put on such risks, so many risky positions and put his own bank at risk, um, that people in London start calling him the London whale. And uh, these are derivative, pro um, trades. And, um, basically I, I broke that story. I wrote about that story and, um, I had to get people within JP Morgan to tell me details. How much was at risk? Um, how many? How much money the bank could could lose due to this trader? And and turns out his boss and his boss's boss also knew about it. So I, I wrote a whole bunch of stories. And yeah, no one has really incentive to to open up and talk about um, the risks that they themselves or their group or their colleagues um, have embraced. And so a lot of what I do is trying to get people um, to open up and share and talk. And be truthful um, so that my audience, people can be more knowledgeable. So what are some of the things that you would tell somebody who's wanting to get into to a field like yours, right? Where it's invest. I, I would call it, it investigative journalism. Do not do it. No, I get it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. In, in terms of financial journalism? Yeah, yeah. What would you tell somebody who wants to get into that field? So, so um, this will be applicable to financial journalism, but also kind of any, any career. The reason why I'm so successful, uh, why I'm successful, it's not because I'm smarter than other people. And um, a lot of people um, are, are right as well, or right well. Uh, I, I don't have that many traits or skills that are better than others. And, and when I said, you know, I've been successful, I just mean, because I have been fired from the Wall Street Journal, I've written a few books, et cetera. Um, it, 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 I think the real reason is that, um, well, two reasons. And um, two reasons. First is I love what I do. And I think people who talk to me um, realize that Be Wall Street people, investors, others, people in the world of finance, but other business type people too. Um, I love kind of like yourself. I love talking to people, I love hearing their stories. And um, when I speak to someone, um, I'm interested in what they have to say. And you, you would think that's basic. And that's the first step in being a journalist. But you, you'd be surprised how many people are in financial journalism just because that's where the job is. They always want to be journalists. They always want to be writers, reporters, 
but we financial journalism pays a little better than other areas or a lot of jobs. Um, so they started a career and they're good at it, but do they love finance? I don't think so. So I happen to love finance. Um, when I was a little kid, I remember looking in the back, the, the back of, I think it was like a Skippy uh, peanut butter jar. And I was like, it's made, I think it was made by like Procter and Gamble. I'm like, wait, there's no Skippy Corporation. It's Procter and Gamble. They have a couple of different brands. They own Smuckers too, or they own some other jelly. And well, that's kind of fascinating to me. I, 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 found, I found that fascinating. And I was like trading stocks in camp. I had my, my um, I remember my camp, um, my, a couple of people, but including my counselor would bring back like barons for me on their, in their days off. And I blew all my bar mitzvah money, not that I had that much, but uh, trading stocks. So I happen to love this stuff. And I think the people I talk to realize I'm interested uh, in the subject matter. So in terms of piece of advice, you know, go to go into something that you actually really enjoy. And I tell young people all the time, you know, there's a kid I know who's looking for a job. He's not, he, he doesn't really have direction, but he's into cars. He loves automobiles, goes to shows and stuff. I try to find something in that world, be it maybe a magazine, maybe you could start a blog, maybe you could, um, some new idea you've got to bring to the table, try to find something that where you've got some passion for. And it sort of sounds sort of obvious, but I, I think there's something to be said for it. And the other advice I would have is try to find some competitive advantage. And um, I remember hearing a speech, I think it was by one of the authors of Freakonomics, and he was saying how his father was a doctor and he was a specialist in like gas, your stomach, <laughs> gas in your stomach. It's like no one else in the world really wanted to kind of go into that. And he, as a result, had this thriving career, go around the world. People wanted to hear him. He was a specialist. He focused on that. So likewise, I'm not really good at most of what I, uh, jobs are out there. I happen to be good at what I do, my narrow thing. And I'm good at talking to people and getting them to open up and, and, and chat and and share with me. So I stick with it. But to the extent that people out there, young people I'm talking to, established people don't need my advice. But when I, when I talk to young people, I try to find, so I find something that you think you're maybe a little bit better than others at and, and, and focus on that competitive advantage. It's almost like you learned to stay in your lane, like you mentioned earlier. Oh, interesting. I never yeah. I put those two together. Very good. There you go. Right. Um, on some level, yeah. So Tell me a favorite story of yours. Um, I mean, you've talked to a lot of people and you've heard a lot of different stories. What's one of your favorite stories? All right, I want to tell you about my biggest failure. And uh, as a journalist, uh, financial journalist, uh, not as a father and as a husband, those are others. That's for a different podcast. But um, I was in the Wall Street Journal and somebody called me up. This is uh, like 2004, maybe-ish. And someone said, hey, you should check out this guy named Bernie Madoff. And I don't think he's doing, uh, he's operating properly. I assume you and your audience know Bernie Madoff, right? Mm -hmm. At this point, okay, that's even longer. So I, um, I did a little research. I started doing some research and uh, it was intriguing. The tip was intriguing. This person didn't have firsthand knowledge. Uh, the person had an instinct and it, something smelled bad over there. Um, Bernie Madoff was operating an investment firm and a trading firm. So I started making a few calls. I spoke to one person who I do trust who used to work there, who kind of assured me that he thought things were uh, being handled properly, but I, he didn't convince me. And then I got a call from Bernie Madoff's like right-hand person. Hey, I hear you're making some calls about Bernie. Um, I don't know if you're writing a story, but we'd love to invite you over to talk to Bernie. And I said, thank you for the uh, invitation. I'll take you up on it, but I'm still doing some research. And 
I'm not yet ready to, to kind of go over and talk to Bernie. Well, Bernie's a busy guy, Greg, and uh, I'm not sure we're going to be able to offer this opportunity again. He travels a lot. And if I were you, I'd really take him up on this right now and, and, and come to us next week and come for the interview next week. And I did. And it was something of a, a mistake. I hadn't done enough work yet. And um, we spent a good hour together. I asked some tough questions. I was not convinced by his answers. I wasn't uh, reassured in any way, but um, it was a little too early in the process. And one at the Wall Street Journal, and we all in our own lives, we, we have a lot of balls in the air, right? So I had other story I was, I was working on, some more pressing, and I always had this file, this birdie made off file that I always wanted to get back to, and I didn't. And then lo and behold, in 2008, it emerged that Bernie Madoff was a fraud and the biggest fraud, financial fraud in history. And I, 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 I right away, I was, I was, I was, um, I was upset um, at myself and the situation. Um, right. I did do a, a good story about um, Harry Markopoulos, who was the person who tried to warn the world. So I did a front page story that it, in his, he wrote a book and um, there was a movie and it became a big deal. And I'm a character in, in, in there, but um so I, I rebounded a little bit, but I, I, I blew it. I mean, I had the chance or potentially to write about the biggest financial um, fraud in history, and I did it. So that's a, a story, a humbling story. Oh, that's so interesting. So I, I talked to uh, Jack Schwager, author of the Market Wizard series, and yeah. um, I asked him about Madoff. I was like, did you ever want to talk to Bernie? He's like, and this, you know, around that time, he would have talked to him was in the early 90s when he was putting the first Market Wizards together. Even back then, he's like, I took a look at it. Something didn't smell right. Kind of like what you were talking about there. Yes, but it went yes. on yet for so long. A lot of sophisticated people said the same thing. The one thing I do wonder about, and, and getting back to my, my book, um, The Man Who Solved the Market, Jim Simons and his colleagues invested in Madoff at one point, and they pulled their money out in... Um, a few years before because it did, something didn't seem right. And I always wonder like morally, do these people have an obligation to the Goldman Sachs, the people that did uh, either pull money out or were wary of Simon, do you have a moral obligation to tell the world to go to the SEC to warn others? And um, I'm sort of torn on that. Some, some of them you could argue, I've talked to them about it. They say, well, Greg, look at this guy, Harry Markopoulos. He's the one who did go to the SEC and did warn people and no one listened to him. And I think that's the name of his book, No One Listened or something. So maybe nothing would have changed. Um, but I do struggle and, and wonder about, about that. And like you said, there are a lot of people I know who uh, wouldn't invest with him. There are also a lot of people who did invest with him and did it sort of cynically, realizing there's probably something going on wrong. Because how can somebody have the same kind of returns, like with 11% a year without any volatility? It just didn't make sense to a lot of people. And yet they kept their money there sort of figuring they'll get they'll pull out before it all blows up which is even more cynical and and, and sad in some ways hmm. so uh the man who solved the market came out in 2019 and now you've got a new book talking about talking about you know the the most recent world changing event that that any of us have seen tell me more about that yeah, so I have a book coming out uh, at the end of uh, October. It's called A Shot to Save the World. And um, it's a little bit of a departure for me in some ways, in some ways not. It's about the race to find the COVID-19 vaccine and how we pulled it off. And I pull back and I start years earlier because it's important to understand how these evolved. 
and there's such drama and there's such personalities. And instead of investors, I'm writing about scientists and researchers and but also corporate executives and entrepreneurs and VCs and people that backed these startups and people that really embraced um, very um, risky in some ways and new approaches to vaccine development. So I traced the evolution of mRNA, which uh, is the vaccine approach that led to both the Moderna and the BioNTech uh, Pfizer vaccine. I also trace um, something called the protein subunit approach, which has led to a company called Novavax, which the stock has gone from, it was about $2 a share going into 2020. And now it's over 200. And they wow. are going to be coming out with a vaccine uh, soon, I believe, that um, it's going to be seen as one of the most effective, if not the most effective. And I also trace the third approach, which has resulted in the J&J and the AstraZeneca Oxford uh, vaccines, um, adenovirus, it's called. And they all have really fascinating uh, histories, um, the science behind it, the scientists behind them all. A lot of um, the, it, a common theme, which I, I really embrace, is um, unusual and unlikely saviors or unlikely heroes. So if you think about all the, the work that I've done, the first book was about this guy, John Paulson, we mentioned. He shouldn't have been the one to make $20 billion betting against um, housing and, and, and mortgages. He was a merger arb. No one never really heard of him. He wasn't a short seller. He wasn't at the bank. And yet he did. Um, the Man Who Solved the Market, the book we were talking about earlier, it's about Jim Simons. He is the greatest trader or, or slash investor in history. And he and his colleagues are mathematicians and scientists. They're not people that grew up going to business school. They're not people that care about business even. I talked to them and they couldn't care less. They're not even convinced. Some of them aren't even convinced that capitalism is the right system. Um, they didn't grow up like me, trading stocks and investing in stocks or, or being interested in, in the market. They don't really care. They're, they're looking for patterns. They're just a whole different breed. They're not the people you would have thought would have been the greatest traders in history. And similarly, who should have saved us all from COVID-19? It should have been Merck, um, should have been GSK, it should have Sanofi, been Sanofi. Those are the three biggest vaccine companies in the world. And they all either dragged their feet on COVID or didn't really find any success, didn't really care, frankly. Vaccines weren't something that were, were an area that people really could make much money on before COVID. And yet it was uh, Moderna. Moderna, going into 2020, there was so much skepticism. People called Stefan Bansell, the CEO. They called him, um, some people referred to him as, as maybe Elizabeth Holmes-like um, in terms of Theranos and being a, a fraud. Um, BioNTech was a company in Germany a lot of people overlooked. So again, there's that same theme, and that's sort of what I embrace. I find I'm, I'm partial to that theme. Um, people that pull off really big things in this world change the world and are unexpected types of characters. I got to tell you, that's that sounds really cool. So, all right. So now, because you've written this book on the vaccine, right, you're kind of dipping your toes into the political realm that I don't know if you ever wanted to be in, right? Because now it's like it's like a whole thing. It's not about a vaccine anymore. It's about, you know, you versus me kind of thing. Yes, I didn't. Um, I, I don't write polemics. So I write stories and I try to um, write about complicated, difficult topics in an accessible way. My um, strategy generally is sort of um, spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down from Mary Poppins, for those in your audience who, who remember Mary Poppins, meaning I, I like to try to write a, a dramatic narrative that's uh, captivating and enjoyable, but I get at 
difficult topics, maybe. The first one was about credit full swaps. Um, the Man Who Solved the Market is about algorithms and um, AI and machine learning and um, math, difficult math. Uh, and, and so I drew it through the personalities. And, and likewise, um, with COVID-19, uh, there are um, difficult uh, debates going on and there are people that are uh, worried how it started, the origins. There are people that won't, won't embrace the, the vaccines. Um, but I try to, through the people, make it clear, and, and it's not really necessarily my goal, but it, it should be what you get from the book, that these vaccines were not developed quickly. Um, they were talking decades of work, and it was almost like a relay race where a, a scientist would make a, uh, an, an advance, then stumble and fall and kind of pass that baton to the next scientist. And it would happen over and over again. And sometimes they give up. So Merck was early on a, uh, an, 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 an approach uh, called adenovirus 5. You can read about it in the book. And it was really an awful situation because they not only produced a vaccine that was not protective against HIV. I start um, back in, in the chase for HIV vaccine, but actually made uh, people more susceptible to HIV. So it was a colossal failure. So failures after failures. Um, and yeah, the, but the point being that, and to your, to your question, um, these are controversial. To some people, it's controversial. And some people are just uncomfortable. I get it. Um, all of a sudden, we have these vaccines. But one of the takeaways, I think, from my book is that, no, they weren't developed quickly. It was actually decades of, of difficult work and honing um, approaches and strategies. And um, you should feel reassured, I think, after reading my book. You know, I, I'm, I hope so. Because, you know, <laughs> I, I get to thinking about all the people with vaccine hesitancy. And I totally get it now because it's like, you know, you had half the aisle before uh, Biden was elected saying this is the Trump vaccine for some reason, like he was out there, you know, mixing potions together. Right. This is the Trump vaccine. We're never going to take this thing. And then when Biden gets in office, they're like, you got to take the vaccine and it's a vaccine mandate. And then you've got the idea that it's a vaccine, but yet you're still going to get sick if you catch it. And it's there's so many conflicting ideas out there that. Yeah, it's it's a scary world, and I'm 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 impressed that you took on a topic of that kind of nature. So so um, I did a book that we haven't talked about in the middle of all a few years ago called The Frackers, and it's about how we went from a nation that was running out of oil and gas to one where we're exporting it. And as part of that um, book, I traveled places I've never been to: Oklahoma, North Dakota, Louisiana, Texas, and um, met conservative and other types of people. Um, and I don't think we do enough of that. In other words, I'm on the East Coast. Um, my wife's from Los Angeles, so we're kind of oriented in that direction. But there's so many just good people everywhere uh, and both sides of this political spectrum. And we don't get a chance to meet each other anymore. And it's just sad. I remember I went to a breakfast years ago. It was with Michael Bloomberg. And um, mm. we were talking like 15 years ago. And he made a really interesting point that um, we're talking about why, and this is back then, why this nation is so divisive and, and politicians can't seem to, to come to compromise. And he made a really interesting point that one thing that's changed, one minor thing, but it had an impact, is that plane service, uh, transportation, and, and, and access to, to, to transportation is so much easier today, meaning, and as a result, people go home on weekends in Washington, D.C. In other words, congressmen, Congress women used to have to, because they couldn't get back to their hometowns, stick around, have a drink with each other, grab a cup of coffee, have a meal, both sides, get to know each other. And they don't anymore. They go home on weekends. And I think we all sort of don't interact enough with each other. So 
I think as a result, um, well, there are all kinds of other reasons, but that's one of the reasons why um, we don't see eye to eye anymore and everything's politicized, everything. So even the, the vaccines, which I argue in my book, um, I shot to save the world, I argue that it's really modern scientists science's greatest achievement. It's a miracle if you think about it. So quickly, it was just over 300 days from the time when we got the sequence to this virus to when the vaccine was 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 approved. So um, it's a remarkable achievement. And I think we need to appreciate it. Yeah, well said. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm very interested to uh, to learn more about it. And, uh, you know, Greg, I, I cannot express how grateful I am that you took the time to, uh, to come on the podcast and, and share, share some of your history and your stories with us and, and for all the great work that you do. Sure. Thank you for um, taking the time, having interest. And um, I would invite people to um, reach out to me, um, be it on um, email, I'm easy to find or Twitter or, or LinkedIn. Some of my best sources are people that were critical of things I've, I've written uh, be it in books or, or, or in my articles and, but I do it in, you know, in a polite way. And, Feel free to reach out. I love constructive criticism. Hey, Greg, I read this. You know, this was in your book or an article. Um, I think you missed something here. And, and I'm, I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm humble enough to realize that um, there's a lot more I need to learn. And I'd love to know what the next big story is. And love to have some interaction with, with, with people that have interest, either have read my recent book or, or, or others. So um, I invite people to, to reach out and, and tell me what I got right and, and also what I got wrong. Greg, this has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. And, and uh, I would absolutely encourage everyone to go pick up Greg's books. I'll have them linked in the description below. And his new book that will be out in a couple of weeks from now. By the time this airs, it'll be out. Uh, the Shot to Save the World. Greg, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. Nice to see you. Okay, so what'd you think? That was pretty incredible, right? I have three special free gifts for you over at 10minutestocktrader.com. That's the Triple Stock Profits ebook you can get for free. That's a bullish power cheat sheet that you can get for free. And if that wasn't enough, at the brand new web class, how to easily discover proven backtested 100% plus winners, that is for free as well. You can get these three free gifts, all yours at 10minutestocktrader.com. The Triple Stock Profits ebook, the free web class, and the bullish power cheat sheet. And all you gotta do is go to 10minutestocktrader.com. Hey, if you like this video, let me know by leaving me a like below and then subscribe and share it with somebody you think could use it as well. Be sure to comment below with your biggest takeaway from this episode and any suggestions you have for future episodes. And finally, make sure you watch these other videos to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And I'll see you on the next episode. 10MinuteStockTrader.com content is for information and educational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, trading or investment advice or recommendation that any security, futures contract, options contract, transaction, or other financial instrument or strategy is suitable for any person. Trading securities can involve high risk and the potential for total loss of any funds invested. 10MinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Yule, through its content, financial programming, or otherwise, does not provide investment or financial advice or make investment recommendations. Investment information provided may not be suitable for all investors and is provided without respect to the individual investors and audience's financial sophistication, financial situation, investing time horizon, or risk tolerance. 10MinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Yule are not in the business of trading securities trades, nor does it direct client commodity accounts or give commodity trading advice tailored to any particular client situation or investment objectives. 10MinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Yule are not licensed financial advisors, registered investment advisors, or registered broker-dealers. Stocks, options, futures, futures options, and other financial instruments not included here involve risk and are not suitable for all investors. You alone are responsible for making your investment and financial trading decisions and for evaluating the merits and risks associated with the use of any financial security and broker platform. For more information, please visit 10MinuteStockTrader.com legal. And thanks for stopping by.